Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, New Abbey, we believe in conversation. Uh, and so if you'd find three or four people around you, uh, and we're going to have this conversation with one another, and a light question for you today. What do you believe about yourself? You got three minutes and 53 seconds. Enjoy. I want to start by saying, this has nothing to do with my sermon, by the way. But I just have those moments where I, I, love, I love this place. I love this community. I'm grateful to be here every Sunday. I'm grateful that this is how my children will come to know and love Jesus and how they'll engage in the world. And what makes me emotional is when I just look out in the community and I just, so many of you I know, and I love you so much. I love the ways that you've been there for me. I love the ways that I get to be there for you. I know some of you I don't know at all, but I know your stories and I know the way that you show up for one another. And that's just powerful. I'm grateful for this space. Uh, and so maybe I just say that before I begin. The things I'm going to talk about is if you're in a place where you're like, man, I need support, I need care. There's so many incredible humans here who can be there for you and we would love to connect you with someone. So yeah, I'm just going to get that a little emotions. Oh, stop it. Stop it. As an Enneagram 3, I don't love affirmations. So it's not why I did that, but I'll take it. That's not above or beyond me in any way, shape, or form. I believe what we do need as human beings is that we need to be seen and we need to be known. We need to be heard. We need to be accepted. We need to be celebrated. At the core of who every single one of us is, is we want those things. And it's a need that we ache for and long for. And so much of our society, the pain and the hurts and the suffering, the trouble that comes is because many of us didn't receive those things at younger ages. And there's pain that gets passed on or there's pain that happens culturally where we don't tell people that they're seen or that they're known or that they're heard or that they're accepted or that they're celebrated. And then the pendulum swings and then people yell when they get a voice and they scream and they get angry. And the other side says, why are you yelling and why are you screaming? And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And the gift I believe about Jesus and good news and the church and this radical kingdom that Jesus invites us into is that we can heal the world by knowing one another by seeing one another, by hearing one another, by accepting each other, by celebrating each other. It's a need that we all want. And when that is fulfilled and satisfied, I think the world just looks different. I think we engage economics differently. I think we engage our jobs differently, relationships differently. Everything just changes. So in order to talk about those things that we need to receive, we're gonna talk about some things. We're going to talk about Eloyd and Mary Marquez. That would be my grandparents on my father's side. We're going to talk about framework for being human. And if we can do that, Ted Lasso, my friends, come on. Have, who's seen Ted Lasso? Honestly, if you haven't, I'm not even messing with you. Your life will be changed. It is filled with so much goodness and kindness and compassion. Like the, the United Nations should watch it together. It is worth your time. Let's talk about transformation. 
And if we can do that, then we'll talk about revolutionary reality that Jesus invites us into. We'll do a little bit of mountaintop learning with one another and then a proclamation of some perspective, my friends. Come on with Pastor, a little alliteration in the morning serves you well. You guys are a clappy church this morning, and I'm going to take it, you know? As they said, clappy church is a happy church, so. We all are given some type of narrative, and for most of us, the narrative that we're given is a narrative that is completely out of our control. You're just born into this family, and this is the name that you are given, and this is your identity, and your race, and your culture, and your religion, and your ethnicity, and your parents did this, and that uncle, man, no one talks about him anymore. It's just, you just inherited it. This is just your story. And it takes a long time for you to figure out your own narrative. So much of the narrative that you tell yourself is because of the narrative that other people have given you. And then you begin to tell yourself, well, I guess this is who I am, this is how I see myself, and this is the way that I see the world. And then later in life, and in adolescence, and you go through your college years, and then you go through your 20s, and you're figuring stuff out, there's this process of discovering, well, who am I and who do I wanna be in the world? Am I going to continue to allow all of those narratives to be the narratives that shape me, or are there some components of my life to say, no, this is who I am, and I am choosing my destiny. I am choosing my path. I am choosing my journey ahead. And for me, there was complexity even before I was born. My dad grew up poor. My dad is Mexican, and he grew up as a sheep shearer in southern Colorado. Then they moved from being sheep shears in southern Colorado to a small town called Draper, Utah, where my dad's family worked as miners. Literally, the story that my dad gave me when he was a kid is that the only person who was black that he ever knew, they lived closer to the coal mine, and for the first 10 years of my dad's life, he thought that black people were black because they lived closer to the coal mines. That was his perspective of the world. Then he moved to Orem, Utah, where his parents bought a farm and they owned a cherry farm, and there my dad was the guy who could speak English and Spanish, and he would work with the migrant workers as they would pick the cherries. I didn't hear any of these stories when I was growing up because my dad was a Mexican kid in Orem, Utah. Just so you know, not a high population of Mexicans, (laughs) in case you were wondering. And so he went to the Navy, and he came back, and he moved to Salt Lake City, and he became a businessman, and it wasn't popular to be Mexican. So when they would ask, Marquez, what's your last name? Spanish. My entire life, when I grew up, people would ask me, in my very upper middle class white neighborhoods, your last name, Marquez, what does it mean? Spanish. And it wasn't until later in life that I began to think about the narrative that I grew up in. I would go and visit my grandparents, Eloy and Mary Marquez, on that farm in Orem, Utah, when I was a little kid. I would go there every summer, and I would remember my Small little grandpa, he'd always have a hat on and a toothpick, and he would get up at 4.30 a.m. to go irrigate the crops. And he was a quiet guy, didn't talk a lot. And then there was my grandma, Mary, and she would make tortillas and beans, and, uh, and I didn't think about any of that. I was just a kid, right? And this was the narrative I grew up with. And then about fourth grade, my grandparents die, and then I started going to my other grandparents' house, which is my mom's side of the family. My mom's side of the family are German and French. Swihart is their last name, and Rice. <laughs> Come on, right? And then what I began to learn is that there was this complexity in my parents' relationship, that for so much of my dad's life, he was ashamed to be Mexican because it didn't work for his life in Utah. And so he was married to a Mexican woman and had three kids and, you know, the Catholic wedding and all the things. And then he met my mom. 
because he was having an affair on his wife with my mom. And my mom had all of her own baggage, and she was married previously to an alcoholic who would beat her and put her into the hospital. And they met, and they fell in love, and my dad divorced his wife and met my mom, who was a white woman. And my dad, I think, always wanted to be white. And so I remember growing up, and none of my brothers and sisters liked me. And I remember thinking, why is everyone so mean to me? Well, now I know. It's a horrible story. And my dad was so ashamed of who he was and where he came from and his own identity and what he understood. And I never got clarity to who I was. And, and I didn't ask because I was just a little kid doing my thing. I was playing with, playing with Legos, people. And it became to be something that I would think about later in life. And really, it was because of 23andMe. I took 23andMe one day, and I realized, like, oh, my gosh. My, half of my family immigrated from Chihuahua, Mexico. My dad never told me that. He would just say, Spanish because it was convenient for where I lived. And most of my life, if you look at me, the people who won the melanin battle for my skin were the Germans and the French, obviously. But there's a whole other part of my narrative and my identity that honestly I know nothing about. And to make it further complicated, I don't have a relationship with my dad anymore. We've been estranged for five years. And there's so, so much that I'm curious about. There's so much complexity that's a part of my life. There's so much that I wonder. There's so much pain that I remember as a kid, suffering that I encountered. I just want you to know, like, what is wrong with our family? And then because of how my parents got together, they had an abusive and verbal relationship with one another, and that abusive and verbal relationship would spill out on us kids. And the complexities of that blended family and cultural dynamics. And on my, my mom's side, the European side of the family, my grandma, who's this German who is racist as shit, would call my other side of the family beaners and wetbacks and all these other horrible names. And so it further ingrained in me, well, I'm not that. And we all just get these stories that we didn't choose. And then you make yourself, this is who you are. And it's just until recently that I began to realize the places that I came from trying to understand better of who I am and just realizing, yeah, this is the story that other people gave me, but what is the real story of who I am? And the story of Jesus is always that. It's an invitation in society, culture, family, others tell you this is who you are. But the gift of this kingdom of Jesus is this participation and this transformation and to this reality of beginning to discover who you want to be. And that's a gift that we're given in so many different ways. And so for me, I've been thinking about that a lot and just how are these narratives that shape us impacting the way that we actually live our lives? I love the show Ted Lasso. Again, if you haven't seen it, you're missing out, not even joking. The power of Ted Lasso is that there's this American football coach who moves to England to be a English football coach. And who Ted Lasso is, I'm not going to ruin the show for you because it's so beautiful. He's just this kind, optimistic, compassionate person. Because of his kindness, because of his optimism, because of the joy that he has in him, he is constantly bringing out the best of other people around him. He is constantly calling out their true identities. You see all of these beautiful narratives that are woven in through comedy, which expose us to a bigger reality of who we are as human beings, where we laugh at these stories, where we see these caricatures and other people that we see in society. And what it gives you the grace for is just to empathetically see other human beings, that there's so much below the surface of every single person. We make so many judgments just from first glance. We make so many judgments because of something that we saw on social media. 
We make so many judgments because of something that somebody else said. Have you ever had those friends who talk about somebody like somebody's horrible and hideous and then you're at a party and you have a drink and you talk to this person and you're like, that person's awesome. <laughs> because there's been all of this judgment and how many times may have that happened to you? And the gift of Ted Lasso is this, this beautiful story of calling all of our true identities out and it happens through kindness and compassion. And isn't that how you want to be discovered? You don't want to be discovered through judgment and fear and shame and guilt. You want beautiful, wonderful, optimistic, joyful, kind, and compassionate human beings around you who call out the very best of your nature and your identity and the identity of the person who you want to be. And that's a powerful thing. And so we've been in this series talking about this idea of you have heard it said, but I say unto you. As we get into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will get into this phrase where he'll speak to his audience, which is a bunch of Jews 2,000 years ago, who've heard the law, who've understood Torah, who've had this way and cultural being about them. And Jesus will speak to that in a very clear way. You've heard it said these things, but I say unto you another way of living. In a beautiful way, it's 2,000-year-old deconstruction and reconstruction. These are the things that you've been given. We're not throwing it all away, but what if we turn it? twist it, see it, find another angle for what that could mean, and let's find the deeper meaning and truth behind these things. You have heard it said, this is who you are. This is how you understand yourself. This is what your family told you. This is the place that you grew up. These are the narratives that you still have stuck. These are the limiting voices. These are the DVRs that you can't turn off. But Jesus says, but I say to you, what if there's more to you? What if the truth about you is rooted in this identity that you are loved, that you are known, that you are seen, that you are heard, that you are accepted, that you are celebrated? That's a beautiful invitation. And so there's this framework that I see for the human journey that's really important. Part of the framework for the human journey is that where we're always trying to get to is maturity. Maturity is the final stop in a framework where now we have grown, we have learned, we've been transformed, and then we get to pass those gifts on to other people. I was in 12-step rooms for 10 years of my life, and the final step is always that now that you have received this spiritual transformation, you get to go pass this on to other people. That's not step one, because on step one, you got some stuff to figure out. And then there's a whole process of getting over to step 12 of like, ah, uh, now that I have some awareness and I've experienced some things, now I want to pass some new stuff on to other people. In old school church language, we would call this discipleship. Some of you laugh. You're like, I haven't heard that word in a long time. Discipleship just simply means being a student. And we're students of Jesus. And who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the incarnate one. Jesus is the one who shows us fully who God is and fully what it means to be human. That's what we want to be students of. Oh, who is God? We look to Jesus. Oh, I see Jesus in all of these stories, how Jesus interacts with other people, how Jesus crosses boundaries, how Jesus challenges systems, how Jesus enters into justice, how Jesus is kind and loves and gives grace. That's what Jesus shows us about who God is. Jesus shows us what it means to be human because Jesus is so aware of his own identity, of whose he comes from, for who, how he belongs in this world, for his acceptance that he's a child, that he's the son of God, right? And we learn from that, and that's how we journey through the world. But for many of us, and probably most of us as human beings, before we get to maturity, we need to either be celebrated or healed first. It's really difficult to want to work towards maturity when there's still so much pain and suffering and angst within you. 
For some of us, you need to be healed first, and then you can be invited to be celebrated. Some of you, when you're celebrated, that will allow you to be healed. And that's the work that we do here. Some of us have different angles for how we get there, but we know that those things need to happen first. I joke about the evangelical church so often, but some of the power of the evangelical church over the last like 70 years, and the, even the fundamentalism is gross and awful and destructive for humanity, the parts where it is good, the parts where it healed lots of people, is there was lots of people who did feel downtrodden and beat up, and there was a story that they were given uh, that God somehow stepped in and overcame something for them, and that gave them life. That was a healing moment that allowed them to celebrate their identity in a different way. And then we played some tricks on them and, you know, uh, fed them a lot of other stuff that really was damaging. But that's besides the point. Let's just go with the first part, say that was healing, and not get into the complexities of the other part. If you want to know about those complexities, we've got like 300 podcasts for you to listen to, people. Enjoy. So today, before we even talk about the Sermon on the Mount, I want to kind of go back to the beginning as Jesus talks about these Beatitudes or says these words that you're blessed or that you're happy when, or when Jesus speaks to the goodness of who you are. Uh, I want to look at this narrative and how it sets up, that these are these, it, it, it sets up who Jesus is. Just let me pause here a second. I love the Bible. I still love the Bible. There's so much deconstruction going on in the world, and I've done it, and I love it, and I experience it, but for me, I come back to the Bible all the time. There's something about these stories that still are revolutionary for me. And sometimes they're revolutionary because I get to see them in fresh ways. I get to take off those lenses of what I was given, where these stories were exclusive and oppressive and repressive. And then I get to see the Bible in a fresh way and be like, oh, this is why they've endured for 2,000 years. This is why grandmas and aunties and whoever have been sharing these stories with children at the tables when they make tortillas for years and years and years because they work. Because you get to share them and you're like, oh, that is a better way of seeing humanity. Oh, there is a fresh way. Oh, how many of us need to hear, don't worry about tomorrow, let tomorrow worry about itself. I'm like, yeah, that's good, but I'm worried right now, right? (laughs) But there's truth in there that's easy to say, but it takes a lifetime to live into. And so follow along with me in Matthew chapter 4 as we get into these stories of Jesus. Jesus went throughout Galilee, pause, Jesus is in Galilee, which means he's not in Jerusalem, he's not in a primarily Jewish uh, area, which is already telling us something about who God is. God steps outside of boundaries. Whenever you tell God you can only be here, God's always like, surprise! You told me I was stuck in the temple, destroyed the thing. You told me not to hang out with Samaritans, and that's where I party, right? God is good at that. But we've been given stories of times, you must do these things, never think about naked people, and don't eat shellfish, and God will be happy with you. You're like, what? No. God's always like, I'm with the sinners. Like, you know, that was so weird. I don't even know what that was. That was like me half wanting to commit to a joke, but not really doing it, and just looking like a dad embarrassing his kids. That's exactly what happened there. He's in Galilee teaching in these synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Let's pause there a second. Most of us, the good news that we heard is that that God needed to kill his son to make himself happy with you. I hope some of you are uncomfortable. Jesus comes and says, no, the good news I'm proclaiming is about my kingdom. My kingdom is something completely different. Jesus endlessly talks about this kingdom of heaven and God. This kingdom of heaven and God is not about something that happens in your afterlife. This kingdom of heaven is something that happens right now, right? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, right now, here, present tense, not later on as it is in heaven. This is the kingdom that we want initiated. In this kingdom, we see God and we see humanity and we see our reality very differently. We don't have kingdoms anymore. So let's think about a revolutionary reality that Jesus is inviting us into. If Jesus is in all of the places that we said that God is not allowed to be, that's telling us about God's reality. Oh, God has a bigger perspective than us. Oh, God sees humanity very differently than we see humanity. All of the places that we want to oppress and repress and say they're in and they're out, God's like, "Uh uh-uh. How powerful is that? It's a different way of being within yourself. All of the places that you think are off limits, all of the places that you have shame and guilt for, God says, I've been there the whole time. Yeah, I've been there the whole time. I wish you didn't go through that. And some of you can just feel that right now, right? I can feel it when I say that. I can picture the moment as a kid that I felt lonely. I can picture the moment as a kid where I wish, oh, where were my parents there? How did they let me be in this unsafe situation? We all have so much trauma that we hold with us, and God is saying, oh, but my kingdom and my reality, nothing is off limits, and I'm there for you, and there's good news there. And even in the middle of that, I'm going to keep proclaiming and keep reminding you of who your true identity is. And it's going to be out of that story where you never thought anything good was going to come out of it that I'm going to do something beautiful in the world. That's a much bigger and broader story that God invites us into. That's the good news that Jesus has for us. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. I love every. What a big and powerful word that we need. Every. Whoever came to him, every. All of it. What about this inquiry? Every. Oh, man, I've never been able to. I know. Every. That's who Jesus is. Every, all, these are the words that scriptures give us. News about him spread all over Syria. Of course it did, because he's healing everybody. There's no limits to this God. Of course everybody wants to know about this. Again, going back to like the evangelicals who feel persecuted. Nobody wants to hear the gospel because I'm saying the truth. No, no one wants to hear the gospel because you're being an asshole. (laughs) Those are two different things. You've you've somehow confused the two. You thought that by being mean and aggressive and exclusive that you're like, I'm just so holy. And I'm like, Jesus, no, you're not. You're like, Jesus is like a campsite. Whenever you leave it, you leave it better than you found it, right? That's what Jesus is like. Wherever he goes, whenever he leaves, it's better than he found it. For those other people who are leaving whatever on Facebook, you're not leaving the world better than you found it. You're creating more chaos. You're creating more division, You're creating more hurt. Stop saying that you're Christ-like. The best definition of Christian that I've ever heard comes from Father Richard Rohr. To be Christian is to see Christ in everyone and everything. Oh, I see Christ. I see Christ. I see Christ. I see Christ. That's what it means to be Christian, not you're out. I know it. I have memorized Jeremiah 29. What? (laughs) That's weird. Yeah, I'm not of this world. Well, I hope you go to the other one. That's actually rude. I don't. That's actually rude. I'm over here talking about unity, and then here I am creating division. Uh, I'm a pastor, not a saint, so here we go. Uh, People brought to him all, all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. How many of us are suffering? Yeah. How many of us want this version of Jesus? That we get to go to him, and Jesus says, I know what you need. I know you want to be known. I know you want to be heard. I know you want to be accepted. I know you've been given narratives that you can't be healed, that that can't be resolved, that there can't be repaired, that there can't be transformation, that that can't be overcome. The story of Jesus is I know you're suffering. I know what your difficulties are. 
I know where you're at, and I'm willing to take it on. That's the kingdom that I live in. That's the reality that I'm creating for the world, and I want you to participate in that reality with me. The demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And I think for many of us, we're like, okay, Corey, that's great. Jesus healed them. That was 2,000 years ago, but, you know, here I am. Yeah, here you are. I think so much of the work of Jesus is now what we have to do in the world. There are lots of mature people in this room, like I said. And a lot of those mature people are really comfortable with their identity, and they've experienced some healing, and they would love to have the lunch with you. They would love to remind you of who you are. They would love to sit with you and say, man, I don't have, I don't have any answers for that. I'm not here to speak for God. But man, I, that sucks. How I many of you just need that? You just need acknowledgement. You just need someone to understand and to listen, to look you in the eye and say, oh, I've never thought I could say that to anybody else. I think that's how Jesus continues to heal in the world. Right? Old school, where's hands and feet? But seriously, I think we are. That's our job. And I'm still a believer in like miracles and crazy stuff happens, people. There are moments where we're just open to something new and something fresh, or we're not open to anything. We just experience something. You're like, I don't know why that Jay-Z song just did that to me, but it did. It did. Or, man, I just saw the kid smile, and I was like, ah, ah, I want that joy inside of me too. I don't know all the ways in which God speaks to us. I just trust that God is continuing to heal every and all and that we're participating in that in some beautiful way. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, and Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Again, it's saying, all of the places that God was not supposed to be, you know those people in the Decapolis were like, oh, you know those people over there, you know the people in the Jordan were like, oh, the people in the Decapolis. We do it all the time, right? Oh, middle America, or I wouldn't, we, we're human beings. We begin to isolate and exclude, and Jesus keeps saying, I'm going to go there, I'm going to go there, I'm going to cross boundaries here, I'm going to do these things. Everybody and all is going to be healed. Keep impressing that upon you. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Let's break that down. In the story, it says that Jesus went up on a mountaintop. Classic pastor with props. Here we go. Oh, oh, yeah, that's good. That was a close one, right? Yeah, okay. No big deal. The story's really beautiful because how many of us just say, mountaintop moments, or I'm in a valley? That's just how it works as a human being. Where does Jesus go? On a mountaintop. He's literally physically trying to say, I have some new words of transformation for you. I have a new way of being for you. And if you were Jewish in that audience, which you were, you're like, oh, big things happen on mountains. Abraham and Isaac, a mountain. Moses and the commandments, where he experienced the glory of God on a mountain. Elijah on a mountain. So the audience was prepped that after he had healed them, after he had given them what they needed, now they could receive and hear what else they needed. They could receive and understand a new transformed idea. I love this definition of trans. It goes like this. And it's so good, it just takes time to load. 
across, beyond, onto the other side of, like transcontinental, through, transonic, into another state or place, transformed, surpassing or transcending. Oh, how many of us want that now? Oh, I want to surpass or transcend, right? I love that word surpass. It, says, it feels like I'm going somewhere. It says, yeah, I, I was suffering, I was inflicted, these are the things that are going on, I found some healing, and now I'm transcending, now I'm transforming, now I'm crossing, now I'm going beyond. Who, who of us doesn't want that? That's what Jesus invites us into. Jesus says, okay, I met you where you're at, you've been receiving what you need, I've healed you and where you are, I'm meeting you even if it doesn't feel like it, I'm not hiding from those places in your life, I'm not hiding from those places culturally. I know the justice issues that we have going on. I know that America doesn't respect black bodies. I know that we have further to go for the LGBTQ community. It's crazy as shit that in 2021, there are still churches that don't let women speak. I know, and I'm there, I'm gonna keep doing work there, because we, are going to surpass that. And we're gonna get over that. We're gonna heal that, and then we're gonna show a new way to humanity. We're gonna get into the individual issues, and then we're gonna get into the corporate. We're gonna do both at the same time, because the world's got a heal, and you're doing that work with me. Right, this is what Jesus invites us to do. He goes up into a mountain, and then it says, and then they came up to the mountain with him. Well, what a beautiful way to be a disciple. You're going up the mountain, people, and you're saying, after I've found some healing, I'm gonna get a higher elevation and a higher perspective of this thing. Oh, now I'm ready to hear these words in a new and a fresh way. Now I'm ready to hear these words in a bigger way. Here's the message translation of it. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and her rule. Oh, how many of you just needed to hear that today? How many of you are at the end of your rope? Yeah, thanks for that honesty. Some of you are like, I don't want to raise my hand. Don't. That's like weird. You don't know any of these people. It's fine. <laughs> but sometimes it's just like, oh, I can do all this sermon, or we can just let the words be true to us. Yeah, I know what it's like to be at the end of my rope. And I know how true it is that when I was at the end of my rope, that's where I found God in the way, new way. Not where I found God. That's where I saw that God was there. It's when I thought my marriage was ending. We sat on that corner in Glendora. And I thought that was the conversation that we're going to get divorced. And my wife looked into my eyes and reminded me, I'm still committed to it if you are. Uh, I was at the end of my rope. Thought I had pressed eject just enough times. And there she was. And that's where God found me. And I wish it was the other way around. I wish it was like, oh, blessed are you in Tahiti. Blessed are you when you're drinking Mai Tais in Hawaii. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> And this is where I found a deep revelation from God. Kind of, but really it was at the end of your rope. And that's where God was the entire time and you needed that. And you needed to know that you weren't alone. What a radical different way. What a, what a perspective, a proclamation of perspective that God gives us. It's a completely different way of seeing what it means to be human. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Uh, how many of you have been there? How many of you have had that feeling of losing the one most dear to you? How many of you have had that feeling of the things that are most dear to you? How many of you, yeah. Man, even looking out and seeing some of your faces. How much do we just need these words? We don't need to preach on them. Sometimes we just need to hear them in a fresh way. I need to remember that moment when my sister was lying in a hospital bed with tubes down her throat for being an addict for 10 years. 
and knowing these are my final moments with her, and knowing that I hated her for every moment of those 10 years. And then I got a gift. Before she breathed her last breath, of just saying, I love you. I really do love you. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's there when we lose the things dearest to us, and that God shows up and says, no, there's a way through. You're going to transcend this thing. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. Thank you. Thank you for your meetings to person. You're right. When you're satisfied in the present moment, that's when you're blessed. Not when the next job's going to come or not come. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Oh, yeah. Some of us need a higher elevation for that. Some of us are chasing dreams right now, thinking this is the thing that's going to make me happy. Maybe it is, maybe it won't. There's a deeper sense of security and contentment and identity that is within you. And so much of the work that we do here is that you begin to trust your own internal authority. Oh, where is God? Already within you. You're not going to find it from some pastor. That book's not going to be magic for you. Even the Bible's not the answer, right? The Sabbath, you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. You weren't made for the Bible. The Bible was made for you. This is what it's all about. It's about your transformation. It's about your healing and trusting that God is doing work there. And then when we do that, oh, we begin to be content and satisfied. We're just where we're at. You know the best moment I've ever had? It's this moment. It's the only one I got. It begins to change the way that we live. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. She has food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Man, how many of us are just deconstructing in this room? We're like, I don't know what I believe about anything. And then, and this is true for me, and then sometimes that Hillsong song comes on, I'm like, oh, God, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, you know, like, Oceans comes on, and you're like, no, I'm so deconstructed. And you're like, take me to the water. You know, you're just, oh, God. It's okay. It's okay to say we want an experience. There's nothing wrong with it. You're on church on a Sunday morning. Of course you want an experience. That's Okay. Well, you know, I've learned that experiences are just chemical reactions in your brain. You're right, they are. Just like everything else that you're doing. It's just a movie that's happening up here, people. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, what about this? And I'm not sure about it. I get it. And let's do the work of deconstruction. And let's not become so cynical that we miss the beauty that's right in front of us. And say, oh, I feel full. And I feel satisfied. And there's another way that I want to connect with God. And that's okay. And that's good. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being care-filled, full, you can find yourselves cared for. Blessed are you, all of you in this room, for the ways that you just constantly care for other people. Some of you are people who you care all the time, and then you wonder, but will anybody text me back? Oh, man, I'm the one reaching out, but is anyone going to reach out to me? This is saying, keep doing it. Keep giving the world what it needs and trust that there's going to be people there for you. Trust that God's going to be there for you. Trust that there's going to be opportunity. Trust that this is not a story of isolation or loneliness. Trust that even in Los Angeles, this weird town where people are driving around and pretend like they can't see each other when they're in their vehicles, <laughs> that even here you can experience care, that even here in your journey you have a gift to offer the world. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Ah, this is just beautiful advice. Wherever you go, there you are. It's about getting your inside world right. It's about knowing that you're loved. It's about accepting who you are. It's about declaring what I am. There's a story about smokers that when smokers say things like, oh, I'm trying to quit, they generally don't quit. 
When someone offers somebody a cigarette and says, oh, I don't smoke, it's a different story. It's what you're telling yourself. There's an inside transformation that says, am I faking it till I make it? Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. And that's okay. It's a part of our internal journey where we're gonna tell ourselves some truths and some things that we need, and we're gonna trust that the healing's gonna come along the journey. And if you're like, oh, Corey, this thing's just a little too simple for me, there's been billions of people that have made it tens of thousands of years because they have done it, and it will be okay. We've gotten this far, and there's more for us to go as a species. We can do this, and we can trust in the human experience that even in the most turmoil, the most panic, the most pain, the most suffering, that we can find a way forward, and it's gonna happen through our internal change, not fixing all of the external buttons. And that's what we think all the time, but that's not the answer for us. You're blessed. When you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight, that's when you discover when you really are in your place in God's family. Peacemakers is something that we need in this world. People who understand the power of wholeness and shalom and unity. Before you type that next comment on social media, just ask, if I waited two minutes, is this gonna serve the world? Seriously. I understand that all of us are just ready to fight for everything that's wrong in the world. And there are things that we should fight for. There are things that we should yell about. There are things that we should be angry about. We should ask ourselves, are we peacemakers in this world? Are we sowing something that is peaceful and uniting and whole? Are we helpful or are we hurtful? And it's nuanced and it's complex. And sometimes being helpful is yelling and being angry. And sometimes being helpful is just letting something pass by. Sometimes being helpful and whole and finding peace is finding peace within ourselves first before we go try to offer peace to the rest of the world. How many of us are there? We're trying to tell the United Nations how to do their work, but inside we are chaos. Maybe go to therapy first. I'm dead serious. Maybe have a conversation with a friend first before we try to fix all the world's problems. Maybe there's something that needs to happen inside. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom, and I'll read the next verse as well. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. And we'll just stop there. Oh, never mind. What it means is that, no, we're going to read it. It means that the truth is too close for your comfort and that they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give a cheer even, and I'm going to live there. I'm going to pause. This keeps going. You get the point. You get the gist. As I'm joking before about people on the internet who are like, I'm being persecuted, it's okay to make people uncomfortable. And I think one of the gifts of our world and one of the gifts of society that we have right now is that we can be uncomfortable, that we can live in a world where comfort is something that is affecting and destroying a lot of us. Because comfort means that some people are comfortable over here where everyone else has to be uncomfortable. And we're at a time and a place in history where we're saying, oh, well, now I know what it's like to walk into a room and I'm uncomfortable. I told you a story about my Mexican grandparents, but from the looks of me, the way that I've engaged in the world is as a straight, white, charismatic man. And so I have not felt uncomfortable in most rooms. And I've just learned very recently in my life to be uncomfortable. And what I've learned is what a gift that it is. And I have feel pain on the other side for so many people who have not chosen that uncomfortability, who have not chosen to live this way. But there's culture and family and all these complex dynamics in our world that have made people feel uncomfortable for reasons that they shouldn't feel uncomfortable. And the gift of being human beings is that we can cross boundaries, is that we can have empathy, that we can hear other stories. And that uncomfortability is a gift. And if people, and we gotta fight for that gift is what this, this passage is giving us. It will not come easy. Change and transformation will take a ton of work. And so I end with this. The power of Jesus is the story of transformation. The power of Jesus is that Jesus invites us into a new and larger reality. 
The power of Jesus is this constant reminder of a perspective that is beyond ourselves. We start with celebration, and we start with healing, and then we enter into transformation, and it takes a long time before we can get to maturity. And the rest of this series that we'll look at is these words from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's all about putting things into practice. Because it will take a long time for us to run this marathon. It will take a lot of training. It will take a lot of effort. And there's many miles ahead of us. So let's find some healing. Let's celebrate one another. And then let's be committed to the practice of transformation together. And through that maturity, we'll change the world. Through that maturity, we'll offer a greater reality. Through that maturity, we'll give a different perspective. But it starts with us. It starts with our internal journeys. It starts with our own process. And I believe that we can do that work together. I want to take just 30 seconds before we get into a group. I'm going to put the last question up. And maybe this is something where you type something into your phone. But maybe there's something that you need to tell yourself. Maybe there's something that you experience today. Maybe there's something that you've just been holding on to a long time. Maybe there's some suffering that you want every and all of it healed. And maybe it's not going to be healed in this moment because that's not the kind of church where I don't believe you're going to come up here. I'm going to put some hands on you and abracadabra. Maybe I'm open to it. I'm down for it, to be honest. But maybe it's this process that God's inviting you into, like, yeah, even that. We gotta take care of that because blessed are you when you go now treat the world in this different way. We gotta start here. We gotta start with you. And then we're gonna go take care of some of these bigger things. Take a minute. I'll come back. We'll break into some groups with one another. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.